Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Some of the most commonly prayed words in history go like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We've likely heard these words before, growing up. Maybe if you're older enough, you may have even said them in school. Maybe you've memorized these words. But the question that I kind of want to ask is when we pray these words, how often are we truly desiring for them to happen? Or how often do we just kind of go through the motions and we say our little prayer and it just becomes a liturgical exercise and there's no heart, there's no meaning, there's no passion or desire behind it? How often do I really want God's will to be done? How often do I really want God's kingdom to come here on earth? like it is in heaven. And this idea, this this topic of the kingdom of God, break it down, essentially, we're talking about God's rule and his reign, which is perfect in heaven. There's no interference in heaven. It's unencumbered, but it's not quite so perfect yet on earth. But one day, one day it will be. And so we pray, thy kingdom come. And the kingdom of God expands as more and more people hear about Jesus, believe in Jesus, and have their lives changed by Jesus. And this is exactly what we have seen as we've gone through the book of Acts. More people believing in Jesus, the kingdom of God expanding, starting in Jerusalem, out, 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 and out. God's people accomplishing God's will, expanding God's kingdom as his spirit empowers them. And in the last number of weeks, we've followed one particular man named Paul. This man preaching the gospel all over the place, making disciples, starting churches. He has a desire. We've seen over and over again, just such a a dedication desire to see the kingdom of God expand, no matter what. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 21. We're going to be in verses 1 to 16. And what we will discover today is that like Paul, those who genuinely desire to see the kingdom of God expand will count the cost and then seek to put the will of God above their own. And as we look at these verses, we're going to see three important truths that apply to what I'm going to call kingdom expanders this morning. The first truth is that kingdom expanders will experience relational grief. Kingdom expanders will experience relational grief. Verse 1 of chapter 1 says, And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to coast, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Parterra. So NIV, though, says, After we had torn ourselves away from them. Torn ourselves away. First of all, who's the them? The them are the elders from the Ephesian church. So last week, Pastor Kale did a a wonderful job explaining Paul's farewell tour, his farewell address to this church that Paul loved so deeply, cared so much about. He charged these elders to be good, godly, faithful leaders as he was about to leave. And so here now it says, we we were torn. We We had torn ourselves away. Paul had a deep relational commitment to this church, and they had a deep relational commitment to him. And if you just go up a little bit in chapter 20, 
finishing uh, verse 36 to 38, we, we feel a little bit of, of this tearing. We see this. It says, when he had said these things, that's Paul, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all of them. Much weeping. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Sometimes when we read passages of Scripture, we can kind of just blitz through them, and we can not quite feel the weight of the emotions contained in this. We had torn ourselves away. We need to enter into this, this emotion, the pain, the weeping. They didn't want Paul to go. They loved Paul. He's their leader. He's their mentor, their church planter. He was their guy. And I think we understand this idea. Relational grief, we have experienced this at some level. Or if we haven't, we're going to. Okay, I, think, I think we can identify with this one. Uh, whether it's a friend who changes school partway through the year or moves away. Whether it's family dynamics that shift and, and, and split or things. Or there's work transfers. Or a boss that you really love retires transitions to another role, whatever it is. Maybe a pastor even gets called away and minister to another city. And you go, ah, oh, there's a tearing, there's a ripping. And I want to say, relational grief is not reserved just for followers of Jesus. Right? Every, everybody, whether you follow Jesus or not, is going to experience relational grief at, at some point in your life. But Christians who are seeking to expand the kingdom of God got to know, we've got to know that this is going to happen. We've got to prepare ourselves for it. We've got to understand, hey, at some point I'm going to go through this. I'm going to experience some kind of ripping, some kind of tearing in relationships. So we have to get ready. And you say, well, okay, I'm going to psych myself up for it and so it's not going to affect me. That's, that's not what I'm saying. It's going to affect you no matter how much you, you psych yourself up for it. But what I'm talking about is being willing to not give up, not throw in the towel when it happens. Some of us have or will experience a season of dramatic change or significant loneliness and relationships are torn from us. So instead of a friend or family member moving away, you're the one that moves away. You're the one that goes to that new class, that new school, new job, new city, new church, even a new country. How are we going to endure that? I had a, a former professor in Briarcrest, he, was, he grew up in England, and then he served as a missionary in China for a number of years, and then he moved all the way back to Saskatchewan. And I asked him, I said, that, that is, that's drastic change. England, China, Saskatchewan, how did you deal with all the transition? How did you deal with all the relational grief, all those gaps? And he said something that, that stuck with me. He said he learned how to love everywhere he has lived and the people there where he has lived because, because he knew that God had called them there. And he knew that God is everywhere. And so every place he lived became home. Because God was there. And this is what Paul experienced. It's, it's a tearing. It's a ripping. And he moves on uh, from verse 3 to 6. There's more tearing. Actually, we'll pick up from verse 4. Having sought out the, the disciples after they, they landed at Tyre, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. 
more relational grief. It's interesting how close Paul gets with these believers in Tyre. They're there for one week, seven days. It says all the families came to see them off with their kids. Let's go. Let's send them off. Let's pray for him. After a week of knowing him, one week, it was just a pit stop. Paul could have just chilled at the hotel and just waited for the ship to get ready. It says they sought out the disciples. They said, hey, we got one week. Let's see if there's any believers here, and let's encourage them. Let's get to know them. Let's bless them. Very easily could have just rested and stayed at arm's length. Oh, hey, disciples, nice to meet you. Keep following Jesus. Goodbye now. But no, he invested deeply for the time that he had. And you know what? It can be tempting for us to refuse to go deep with people so that it doesn't hurt as much if or when that change occurs. We say, well, I'm only going to be here for a little while, or I think I'm only going to be here for a little while, so I don't want to get too attached because I don't want the tearing to hurt so much. And some of you are, are doing that. Some of you have been here for a little while, and you're not new anymore. Can I encourage you to invest a little more, to open up a little more? I mean, I've done this in the past. It seems like a good and safe approach. It does protect us from deep hurt. Yes, it does. But it also prevents us from experiencing the blessing of deep relationships. So you will have a level of protection from that hurt, but you're going to be prevented from that deep blessing of really getting to know people, investing in relationships. We are relational beings. We've been created by God to live in community with each other. We need each other. I need you. You need me. It's not good for us to be alone. On the contract, what do we see in Acts, starting at Acts chapter 2? We see the believers gathered together, devoted to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship. They had all things in common. They were meeting together all the time, investing in each other. Romans 12.10 says we need to be devoted to one another in love. Really hard to be devoted to someone in love if you stay at arm's length with them. Please invest. Open up. Wherever you are, however long you're there, whether it's one week, one month, one year, or 50 years. And I'll tell you, some of the, the best friendships that I've had or still do have have uh, cultivated, been cultivated over a rather short period of time. Whether it was one summer at camp, maybe it was just one semester at school, or even just a weekend youth conference or retreat. All of a sudden, you're, just, you're stuck together for a weekend, and you're like, I'm either going to love you or I hate you at the end of this weekend. And so many times, it's love you. So I encourage you, invest, invest, invest. Yes, we're going to face, face relational grief. That's going to happen. But don't let that stop you from investing in lives here and other places. Paul experienced this, and he kept going. The believers in Tyre, the believers in Ephesus experienced this. And yes, it's hard. But if we're going to be committed to the work of expanding the kingdom of God, we've got to know that it's coming. And we've got to be able to forge ahead. Now, on top of relational grief, those who seek to expand the kingdom of God must be willing and ready to suffer for Jesus' sake. Kingdom expanders must be ready to suffer for Jesus. If you jump down to verse 7, verse 8, actually, they've come all the way. They finished their journey. On the next day we departed, we came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus, that is a name, Agabus, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. 
And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. God used this prophet Agabus to warn Paul. Not to prohibit him from going to Jerusalem, but to warn him. You continue on. This is what's going to happen. You're going to jail. You're going to be imprisoned. Get ready, Paul. Suffering is coming. And this isn't a new thing. When Jesus was alive on earth, multiple times he talked to his disciples. Expect suffering. Expect persecution. Blessed are you when others revile you on account of me. You're going to face hardship, suffering, all these kinds of things. And Jesus even said some of the people that follow him will be killed. Jesus said that. Which is pretty intense. But it's also one of the reasons why Jesus said, It's important to count the cost of following me. This is what it's going to look like to follow me. You're going to face some level of hardship, suffering, and persecution. Paul was ready to suffer for Jesus in Jerusalem. He had suffered many times already in many other places. So he had developed this whatever-it-takes attitude now doesn't matter what happens to me. Whatever it takes to expand the kingdom of God, whatever it takes for more people to hear about Jesus, to believe in Jesus, whatever it takes to make more disciples, whatever it takes to start more churches, if that means prison or death, whatever it takes. He had developed that attitude. And I think it's, it's funny, or maybe more sad, how many people have developed a whatever-it-takes attitude for all kinds of other things. Whatever it takes to make that sports team. And whatever it takes to be a starter on that sports team. Whatever it takes to get straight A's so I get that scholarship. Whatever it takes to get that promotion. Whatever it takes to get ready for next year's vacation. Whatever it takes. How ready, how willing are people How willing are we to endure the hardship and the suffering and the sacrifice for Jesus? We're willing to sacrifice for so many other things. And I know I do it too, and I have to go, okay, I sacrifice for that, I sacrifice for this, I sacrifice. How much sacrifice am I really willing to put in for Jesus, the cause of the kingdom? What price am I willing to pay? Paul said he was ready to die for Jesus. Can I say that right now, today? I'm ready to die for Jesus. Can you say that? Can we say that? I'm ready to die for Jesus. I'm ready to pay that ultimate price. If that situation happens, I'm ready for that. Because Jesus is greater. He's worth it. There are people who pay that ultimate price every day all over the world. I don't know if you've heard about the the terrible persecution against believers in Nigeria. It's now estimated that over 6,000 Christians have been killed there since January 2018. 6,000 in a little over a year. Simply because they believe in Jesus. Now, to be clear, 
Following Jesus doesn't automatically mean that you're going to go to jail and, and suffer and die. It doesn't mean it's going to be so severe. But following Jesus, seeking to expand the kingdom, will result in some hardship, some persecution, some suffering, some sacrifice. That much is clear. That's in the Bible. We can look to that and see. This is a central theme. It's not just a one-off. So are we willing to suffer We may not die for our faith in Canada. We may not go to prison for our faith in Canada. Are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to endure shame? Are we willing to endure being excluded, being made fun of, being bullied? Are we willing to be unpopular because we follow Jesus? Not being invited to to the parties, whether it's school or work. Not being included in that group chat. Not being promoted because we stand up for our faith? Are we willing to endure those kinds of things? We've got to ask ourselves, and I have to ask myself, what ranks higher in my life? Kingdom expansion or self-preservation? For Paul, it was clear. Kingdom expansion. He was ready to suffer. He had fully submitted to the Lord's will for his life. And those who genuinely seek to expand the kingdom of God must do the same. That's our third thing this morning, is that kingdom expanders submit to the will of God. We're just going to read verse 11 to 14 again. So Agabus comes down, coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hand of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Let the will of the Lord be done. Paul received this warning, but he was steadfast. He demonstrated great boldness, great courage. I'm going. I'm submitted to the will of God. God is leading me to Jerusalem. I am going, come what may. He submitted to the will of God. The church, the believers here, it took them a little bit longer. They had a little bit more of a difficult time. It says they they were urging him not to go. No, no, Paul, don't go. We don't want you to go to jail. We don't want you to go to jail. We don't want to lose you. You're our friend. You're our mentor. You're our brother. You're our leader. We can't lose you. And if you notice in verse 12, there's a we there. The we is Luke. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And Luke is one of Paul's closest companions. So Luke himself saying, trying to persuade Paul, don't go. So imagine one of your best buddies. It's one thing for a group of people. It's like, no, don't go. But for one of your best buddies also to say, no, Paul, don't go. That's going to make it even harder for Paul. Harder for him to submit to the will of God. But he says, no, I'm going. I'm submitting to the will of God. You're breaking my heart, he says in verse 13. Don't break my heart. You're making this harder than it already is. Let's all submit to the will of God. Let's just do this. It's seen, this scene actually has some echoes to another incident involving Peter from Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem And suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. 
But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Peter struggled in that moment to submit to the will of God. No, Jesus, we don't want you to die. You can't die. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about the will of God. You're not submitting to the will of God. You're thinking about your will, your plans, your desires. You're not focusing on what's best for the kingdom. So a good lesson from Matthew 16, a good lesson from Acts 21 for each one of us, even our best intentions can be completely opposite to God's purposes. Our best intentions can be completely opposite to God's purposes. It was the will of God that Jesus would go and suffer and die. God's will is different than ours. His ways are higher than our ways. And we must remember that God is all wise. He has perfect knowledge, perfect wisdom. So his will is always best. Even if it's hard to submit to, his will is always best. And we think about our will, we think about Peter's will. Jesus would not have gone to go and be crucified. He would have been been, uh, the physical king who rallied Israel to defeat and overthrow the Roman rule and and elevate Israel as as, as this uh, prominent place among the nations, which seems like pretty good. Jesus says the physical king ruling, not bad, but God's will is better. God's will enabled eternal salvation for Jews and Gentiles, forgiveness of sins available to all nations. You and me can be reconciled to the almighty God through Christ's work on the cross. That's so much better. Peter's will was a, was a temporary fix. God's will provides eternal salvation and eternal life. God's will is better. I think about my will, and this is my, my dream, my will. All my friends and all my family would all live kind of in the same city. We wouldn't be scattered all over the place like we are. And we'd have weekly barbecues, you know, game nights, go to the movies together. We'd all serve in the same church. You see each other every Sunday. Hey, you're in here, you're in here. Yeah, all right, this is so good. That would be my will. Everybody together, serving together, eating together, just, woo, together. But God's will is different. And God's will is better. And I've got to remind myself, it's better than mine. In his wisdom, we're not all together. He spread us out more than I would choose, but I submit to his will. I trust that it is better. So the, the question for me, the big question for each one of us is how often are we really seeking to submit to the will of God in our lives? How often are we saying in our prayers, okay, God, whatever is best for your kingdom, whatever is best for that, count me in, whatever that means. Because, I mean, my family's great, and I love my family, and my friends are great, and I love them, but Jesus, you are greater And so I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to submit to you and your will. How often do we pray like that? Some of us, I think we do. But may I encourage us to keep doing that or to start doing that? Whatever is best for your will, your kingdom. This is what Paul did. And think about not just individually, but us as a church. Okay, so we're we're, we're talking about, we're planning, we're praying about starting a second church. Planting a new church somewhere. 
There's been lots of thoughts, lots of ideas. Well, maybe it's going to be uh, Amherstburg area, or maybe it's going to be the East End, or something like that. Okay, but we've got to make sure that we stop and we say, Lord, what do you want? What's best for your kingdom, not just our preference? What's best for your kingdom? Where, when, and how? I've got to pray that. We've all got to pray that. Tell us where to plant. You choose. Kingdom expanders have got to get to this place where we learn to hold our plans pretty loosely. And we, then we can say, like the church did in verse 14, let the will of the Lord be done. Have your way in us. Have your way in our church. And can I just say one word to parents, particularly this morning? This one might sting a little bit, I'm sorry. Parents, however old your kids are, whether they're six weeks or 66 years doesn't matter. One of the hardest things that you may ever have to do in your life is submit to the will of God for your kid's life. If my daughter Mackenzie comes up to me when she's 18 years old and says, God has told me, and he's calling me to go be a missionary in Russia or to serve in an orphanage in Cambodia or Nigeria, or to do street ministry in L.A., or to move to some ridiculous, crazy place like Hamilton. (laughs) What am I going to say? What am I going to do? Some of you have, have faced those moments. What happens if your son says, I'm going to Sweden? What do we do? Are we going to rally around them, pray with them, pray for them, support them, and help them soar for the glory of God, for the expansion of his kingdom? Or are we going to fight against that and try to keep them close and safe and end up clipping their wings so they just stay close to our nest? I know it's hard. Kingdom expanders submit to the will of God, and it is hard. You can... I'm thankful. I'm so thankful looking back. I look at my parents. They they didn't clip my wings. Maybe they should have a few times, but they didn't. They said, okay, God's calling you over there. Go, go. We love you. We'll be praying for you. We're, we're, We're here for you. I encourage you to do that with your kids. Oh, man, it's going to be so hard. And again, to be clear, submitting to God's will as an individual and as a family doesn't automatically mean that they're going to go all over the world. Some people will stay in the same town for the whole life, and that's okay. That's the will of God as well. Some of the apostles stayed in Jerusalem until they died. Right? So, so you don't have to think, oh, that means instantly everybody's gone. No, but it could happen. And we've got to prepare for that and submit to that. If we're going to be truly about expanding the kingdom of God and making, the, making disciples, we've got to put our will and our desires in the back seat of the car. Or better yet, toss them in the trunk and throw God the keys and say, you drive wherever. There's one worship song that says, all of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender these into your hands. All. This is what Paul did. Let's be a church that follows Paul's example here. Submit to the will of God as we seek to expand the kingdom of God in the power of God. 
Let's genuinely pray. Genuinely pray and genuinely live out those famous words in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Let's pray together.